My, my, my Delilah. <laughs> I was tempted to sing that for you myself as an opening this morning, but I, I figured Tom Jones could handle it a little bit better. That was uh, Tom Jones, 1968, Ed Sullivan. If, uh, for those of you who are old enough to remember that, I, was, I wasn't even born back in those days. I mean, <laughs> us youngsters, you know, can't relate, but... Uh, but anyway, I thought that was a uh, fitting opening as we turn this morning to what is really probably one of the most famous stories in the entire Bible, the, the story of Samson and Delilah found in Judges chapter 16. It's interesting if you notice that last line Tom Jones saying, he, he's saying, lost like a slave that no man could free. And I thought, you know, what a fitting description for where we find Samson at this point in his life and service as a judge to the nation of Israel. If you've been with us uh, the last couple of weeks, we've been in Judges chapter 13, 14, 15, looking at the story of Samson's life. And, you know, the real reality is, is where we left off last week at the end of chapter 15, Samson truly is lost like a slave that no man can free. He, he is a, a person, as we've seen throughout his journey, who had this, you know, literally a supernatural birth, a divine calling, uh, Holy Spirit empowerment to, to be Israel's deliverer. And yet, as we saw last week, Samson basically squandered all of that in pursuit of his own selfish interests. He, he was a man who did what was right in his own eyes. He was a man who ignored God's will and calling on his life. And basically, as we've seen, he, he became enslaved to his sinful lusts and his vengeance and his passions. And, and that's really where we pick up our story this morning as we turn to chapter 16. And, and I want to take you back a couple of weeks because it's interesting to remember Samson's name literally means little son or Sonny. You remember we talked about that? Our first message in this series on Samson started out talking about how, how Samson really was a judge whose life began as the hopeful breaking of the dawn of a new era in Israel. But sadly, as we're going to see once more again, Samson's life would ultimately fade into a slow and disappointing twilight. Samson, unfortunately, never lived up to the potential that he had as this really, truly divinely inspired leader for the nation of Israel. But again, as we saw last week, even in spite of all of Samson's shortcomings, God was still at work in Samson's life. God was still at work even in all the, the morally repugnant actions of Samson. Remember, God was working behind the scenes through Samson to drive a wedge between the nation of Israel and the Philistines. The, the Israelites had been under the bondage and oppression of the Philistines, but they had gotten totally comfortable. They were completely complacent. They were okay with being under bondage. They weren't even fighting it anymore. They weren't even crying out to God anymore. And so God needed to do something drastic to create a separation between his people and this pagan culture of the Philistines. And that's what he did through the person Samson. God created that wedge, which ultimately led to Israel's deliverance. We're going to see more of that this morning as we continue on in Samson's story. And uh, as we turn to Judges chapter 16, looking at the twilight of Samson's life. Uh, this is, uh, like I said, it's a very recognized story, but it's a story that I think has a number of important lessons for us. 
principles that we can apply even today to our lives and some really powerful reminders for us about who our God is and especially his amazing grace that's available for each and every one of us here. So we're in Judges chapter 16. I want to read our passage this morning. I want to come back and I want to highlight a few observations from the twilight of Samson's life and career as a judge in Israel. Judges chapter 16, starting in verse 1. Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went into her. The Gazites were told, Samson has come here. And they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night, saying, let us wait till the light of the morning. Then we will kill him. But Samson lay till midnight. And at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts, and he pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron, a monumental feat of strength and stamina. After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Seduce him. And see where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies, and how you might be bound, that no one could subdue you. Samson said to her, if they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now she had been lying in ambush in an inner chamber, and she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as a thread of flax snaps when it touches the fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Then Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you have mocked me and told me lies. Please tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If they bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him, and with them said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And the men lying in ambush were in an inner chamber, but he snapped the ropes off his arm. Then Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my head with the web and fasten it tight with the pin, then I shall become weak like any other man. The the web he's referring to is probably a loom that she had there in her house. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks on his head and wove them into the web, into the loom, and she made them tight with the pin and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled away the pin, the loom, and the web. And she said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times, and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his heart and said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. 
When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees, and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at the other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground mill, and he ground at the mill in the prison. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. And they said, Our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hands. And when the people saw him, they praised their God. For they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hands, the ravager of our country who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I might lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there. And on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. And by the way, that entertainment there is cruel mocking taking place of Samson. He's not doing a juggling show, friends. So Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me, and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one, his left hand on the other, and Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtel in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had judged Israel 20 years. Another fascinating story here in the book of Judges, the twilight of Samson's life. Here in these twilight acts of Samson, we see and learn a number of important lessons, lessons that I want to highlight for us this morning so that we can learn from Samson's story. Lesson number one this morning in the twilight of Samson's life, we see a man who was self-deceived, a man who was self-deceived. Our passage opens up in verses 1 through 3, and at the outset of our passage this morning, we find that Samson has literally learned nothing from his earlier life experiences. If anything, Samson has simply become more deluded by his sin. Where do we find Samson at the outset of our passage this morning? We, we see Samson still ignoring God's boundaries. This time, Samson's not flirting in a border town. 
This time, Samson's literally 45 miles inside Philistine territory in their very capital, the city of Gaza. And God's people were to have nothing to do with the pagan Canaanite cultures. And yet Samson is still ignoring God's boundaries. Here in verses 1 through 3, we find Samson still doing what was right in his eyes. Ignoring God's commands, doing what he wanted to do, doing what he thought was best based on his sight. And we see Samson here seeking out sexual pleasure. We see Samson here still hurting others through his sin. Who did he hurt here in verses 1 through 3? I mean, he, he visited a prostitute. Well, friends, let me give you another name for a prostitute. Victim. There's never been a single woman in this whole world who as a little girl thought to herself, man, when I grow up, I sure want to be a prostitute and give myself away to countless men to use and abuse me. Samson is perpetuating the victimization of this poor woman. Samson here in verses 1 through 3, we find him still acting in vengeance, not deliverance. Samson finds out the men of Gaza has surrounded him, that they're going to ambush him. And so Samson takes out his vengeance once again, personal vengeance by tearing out the gates of the city of Gaza. Now, friends, Samson ends up taking off with the gates when Samson really should have been leading Israel and storming the gates. But once again, we find Samson ignoring God's call as the judge, the deliverer of Israel, and instead simply doing what worked for him in his personal, personal vengeance. You know, Samson's a tragic story. And the reality is at this point in Samson's life, he's become the living embodiment of the nation of Israel during the period of the judges. Friends, where was Israel throughout this whole 350-year period? What, what have we been seeing throughout our series in, in Judges, Peril and Promise? We, we, we see here in Samson really a microcosm of the whole nation. Like Israel, Samson had been called by God. He had been commissioned for God. He had been empowered through God. And all that God asked for in return was Samson's allegiance and devotion. And yet, Samson chose to ignore God and pursue his way over God's way. Samson was personally living out the cycle of rebellion that we've seen so many times committed by the nation of Israel throughout our series in the book of Judges. And friends, it's important to recognize what was at the heart of Samson's compromise. Friends, it was the very same thing that was at the heart of Israel's compromise. Both Israel as a nation... And Samson, as a judge, had become self-deceived in their sinful pride. You see, they had taken for granted the blessings God had given them, thinking that they were entitled to their privileged position. And they had forgotten that who they were and all they had was really a gift of God's amazing grace. But both Samson and Israel had taken all of that for granted. 
In Samson's case, God had blessed Samson with supernatural strength. And for 20 years, Samson had known nothing but victory. Friends, have you noticed that throughout Samson's story? He's never lost a battle. He's never lost a fight. It's been victory after victory after victory. And you would think that this reality would have driven Samson to the Lord in praise and thanksgiving. That it would have driven Samson in the ongoing pursuit of God's will. But instead, sadly, Samson has become spiritually complacent. He took God's gifts for granted. And this spiritual complacency would ultimately lead to Samson's downfall. I think there's some important lessons for us here in Samson's story. Friends, is it not easy to see the parallels to Samson's story and Israel's story with our own nation? with ourselves? Is it not easy to see the parallels to Israel's self-deception with America's self-deception? Taking the Lord's good gifts for granted, believing that we're entitled to his blessings no matter how far we deviate from his will. And friends, there are far too many examples to share to highlight just how far our nation has fallen from the privileged place that God had originally given us. We saw a sad example just this week in the hearings for a woman who will likely become one of our next Supreme Court justices, one of the highest offices in our land, and this woman could not identify what makes a woman a woman. She could not identify when life begins because she's been so self-deceived by her sin. Again, friends, that's not a political statement. That's a commentary on the sorry self-deception of those in the highest offices of our land today as a nation. The prophet Isaiah warned us about what happens to countries that go this way. He says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. We sure have become wise in our own eyes, haven't we, friends? Men can be women, women can be men. A man can put on a women's swimsuit and see his genitalia bulging out and yet win the national championship in the women's swim competition. Woe, woe to those people, God says. But it's not just on a national level, friends, that we need to recognize our self-deception. Because if we're honest about it, we struggle in this very same way on a personal level too, don't we? On a personal level, It's easy to see parallels to Samson's complacency with our own complacency. Are we not also prone to presume upon the grace of God, believing our sin doesn't matter, thinking that God will simply overlook our idolatry? 
It's interesting, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he comments on this very thing. He says, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? What's the Apostle Paul saying here, friends? In this context, Paul was specifically talking about Christians who were abusing the Lord's Supper. But, but in our context, I think the application is just as relevant. Paul's basically saying, look it, you cannot treat Jesus as just another one of your guests at the dinner table of your heart. Jesus is not going to be content simply being one among many of the idols that you invite to that supper. And sadly, how often do we do that? We throw a party and we introduce the guests and we say, hey, Jesus, this is Jesus over here, everybody. Jesus is my Savior and Lord and I worship him on Sunday. And let me introduce you to money. Money's the God I worship the other five days of the week. But, but not just money. Let me, let me introduce you to lust. Yeah, he's a little ugly. But, but he's, he's part of my, my party as well. Friends, should we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Should we presume upon the grace of God? This is what our self-deception does. Be not deceived this morning, friends. Jesus is either the main thing or he is nothing. He wants to be first in our hearts. Samson was self-deceived as the nation of Israel was self-deceived. And this ultimately led to his downfall. But the second thing we see in the twilight of Samson's life this morning, we see a judgment that was self-inflicted. A judgment that was self-inflicted. The heart of our passage this morning revolves around Samson's famous dalliance with Delilah. Now for Samson, this relationship begins with, with an appearance of something different, right? We read in verse 4 here that for the first time in Samson's story, Samson loved a woman, all right? So, so this is different. This appears like this isn't just a woman he's trying to use for his own pleasure. Apparently, he loves this woman. But sadly, we also quickly discover that Delilah didn't feel the same way about him. The lords of the Philistines come to Delilah, and she's willing to sell Samson out, for 5,500 pieces of silver. And so Samson's story takes a sad turn. Samson once again gets himself into trouble here because he chose to do what was right in his own eyes. Samson was a man who couldn't tame his temptation. I mean, it's so obvious. You read the story, the signs of trouble that should have been apparent to Samson very early on. And yet Samson continued to pursue his own desires for this woman, Delilah. This past week when I was studying for this passage, I came across a, a quote from a sermon from Bishop Ambrose of Milan in the 4th century, preaching on this very passage. Isn't that interesting to think back for nearly 2,000 years? Pastors have been preaching this passage. Bishop Ambrose of Milan, preaching on this passage, he says, Samson, when brave, strangled a lion, but he could not strangle his own love. He burst the fetters of his foes, 
but not the cords of his own lust. He burned the crops of others and lost the fruit of his own virtue when burning with the flame and kindled by a single woman. That guy was a preacher, huh? But isn't that the reality of Samson? Samson was in so much control of all these other areas, yet he couldn't control his own heart. He couldn't control his own actions. He was a slave to temptation. There's some important lessons this morning that I want to highlight for us on the issue of temptation. Because it was Samson's temptation that ultimately brought his downfall. And we need to learn some lessons here from the story of Samson's self-inflicted judgment. Let me, let me highlight four things about temptation this morning. Four things we can learn from Samson's mistakes here with Delilah. Number one, temptation always begins with compromise. Temptation always begins with compromise. Friends, please understand something. Samson got into trouble long before he got into bed with Delilah. The reality is there were countless small choices, many seemingly harmless acts, and numerous rationalizations that led Samson into Delilah's bed. And that's often how sin works, isn't it? Small choices, random acts of compromise, that lead us down the path of temptation. You know, so often in life, we, we know what God calls us to. We know God's will and his word and what he's, what he's called us to do in life, but we so quickly turn aside from it and we think, oh, you know, it's no big deal, right? I'm just, I'm just kind of taking a one step over here, kind of flirting with, you know, things in the world and my fleshly desires. But it's not a big deal because, right, I mean, I'm, I'm right back, Right? Just a quick little dalliance. But the problem is, is every time we take that one little dalliance, the next little step gets that much easier. But even here, I mean, really, is this some, I mean, come on, not a big deal, because, I mean, I just come right back. I'm good. Jesus, number one, you and me. But now I've compromised two steps. And that third step becomes all that much easier. Kind of reminds me of a number of years ago, some college buddies of mine, we went on a ski trip to Lutzen. And uh, that's, the, that's the biggest skiing I've ever done. I'm not a big skier. I'm a decent skier, but not a big skier. And my buddies were kind of goading me into trying this black diamond run up there at Lutzen. Now, yeah, you're laughing because, like, right? Like, I should have nothing to do with that. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself in my better judgment, don't do it. Don't do it. But my buddies are teasing me, you know, and goading me on. And so I said, okay, well, maybe I'll just get on the ski lift, right? Your, your son was one of them. So don't look all innocent, Roxy. <laughs> so I ride this ski lift up, and I'm thinking, I'm just going to go to the top of the hill. It'll be all good. You know, I'll just kind of take a look, see how it is. So I get to the top of the hill. And I ski up to the edge, and I mean, I'm not kidding you. Like, in my memory, this thing was a sheer drop-off. <laughs> I mean, it was like sheer drop-off. And it had been sunny out the day before, so the slope was like ice. Well, my buddies, they just go flying over this thing, and they're just like boom, 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 down the moguls. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, this, I, this is insane. I'm going to kill myself. But of course, you know, I'm going to just take one little step. I'll just kind of go down a little bit. I'll, you know, do my snow plow and 
Well, pretty soon, I'm just sliding down sheer ice, this vertical hill. I mean, it was insane. I got about 20 feet down, and I stopped myself by literally falling back on my behind, <laughs> planting my boots and skis and the poles into the snow, and I'm looking back. I'm like, there's no way I'm getting back up there. I was in trouble. So I did what any reasonable person would do. I took off my skis, I held them across my chest, <laughs> and I slid down the hill on my bottom. But friends, here's the reality. Very few of us literally jump off the cliff into sin. Am I right? Oftentimes, sin begins with compromise, small choices. And we get so far down that hill and we find ourselves in trouble and desperation, and oftentimes it takes drastic measures at that point to get ourselves back on the right track. This is why the Bible warns us to be on guard against temptation. Passages like Proverbs 14, verse 12, for example, tell us there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Again, Samson was doing what was right in his eyes. When we compromise, what we're doing is we're doing what is right in our eyes, but it's the way that leads to death. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, he says, therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. We oftentimes think we're stronger than we really are. Paul says, take heed. If you think you're standing strong, stay on guard. Stay alert. Because temptation is always one small, poor choice away. Second lesson we learn in Samson's mistakes here with Delilah, we, we learn that temptation always comes in attractive packages. Have you ever noticed that, friends? Temptation always comes looking so appealing, so enticing, so attractive. One of Samson's biggest mistakes here in our passage this morning was not recognizing the danger in Delilah because of his desire for her. See, Samson was only looking at the outer wrapping and not at Delilah's character and heart. And that's so often the way temptation works. We, we look at the outer wrapping and we miss the danger inherent in it. It, it reminds me when I was a kid, we had, we had Labrador retrievers growing up as a kid. And I remember my, my dog Nikki, for example, when, when she would get sick or we need to give her a heartworm, uh, heartworm medicine, right? Well, what do you do for your dog, right? The dog's not going to take his medicine, right? So what do you do? You put it in a spoonful of peanut butter, Right? And we'd hold out that spoonful of peanut butter, and Nikki, man, she'd come up, she'd lap that right up, right? Because it looked appealing, it was enticing, it was attractive. Friends, understand this, the devil is not going to show up on your front door tomorrow and say, look, I got this really ugly and dangerous thing for you, and I really want you to buy into it, right? Like, no one's going to fall for that. But the devil comes and he says, oh, look at it, I got this peanut butter here. But in Samson's case, the pill in the peanut butter was poison. And he ate it right up because he was looking at the outer packaging and not what was underneath. And friends, in the same way, we need to keep our guard up because temptation comes oftentimes in very attractive and appealing packages. In the book of James, chapter 1, 14 through 15, we read, but each person is tempted... When he is lured and enticed by his own desire, then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, 
And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And friends, understand it all begins with succumbing to temptation, to buying into the outer package, the outer wrapping that inside leads to death. Now the question is, well, how do we make sure we don't avoid, that we can avoid this mistake, right? Like, how do we know that, you know, something that looks appealing is, is dangerous and not good for us, right? Because there are things in this world that God made that are good, right? And so how do we know the difference? Well, the Apostle Paul gives us some guidance. Romans 12, verse 2 tells us, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Okay, so this is helpful, right? How do we make sure that we're not buying into something that's harmful for us? Well, we have to have our minds renewed so that we can test and discern what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now you ask the question, well, how do we have our minds renewed? Friends, we renew our minds by standing firm in God's truth, by trusting God's word, by going to his source of guidance for our lives. Psalms 119, 104 through 105 tells us, through your precepts, your precepts, your commands, I get understanding. It's through God's word, friends, that we get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet, and a light to my path. Friends, you want to make sure you don't fall victim to the outer packaging of temptation? You need to be rooted in God's truth. You need to stand firm in his word. You need to follow his guidance for our lives. Third lesson we learn here about temptation in Samson's story. Temptation is always found in keeping the wrong company. How true is that? You know, from the outset of Samson's story, we see that Samson had a weakness for the wrong women. None of his women led to anything good, right? He had the Philistine woman in Timnah. He had the prostitute in Gaza. Now he's got Delilah. And none of them led to any good. And friends, there's an important principle in this for us. We need to recognize this morning, there are few decisions in your life that are more significant and important to shaping your character and determining the nature of your walk with the Lord than the people you choose to associate with. Understand that, friends. Besides standing on the word of God, it's the people you associate with who will determine your spiritual walk most significantly. In my 25 years of ministry, I'll tell you something. You want to know what I've observed? The number one reason that I see people leave the faith, people who grow up in the church, people who grow up committed to following the Lord, people who, you know, recite all the Bible verses in a while. You want to know the number one reason I see those people walk away from their faith in their adult years? It's because they keep the wrong company. They surround themselves with people who have worldly values and worldly priorities. And those people ultimately end up leading them astray. Now some of you young people here this morning, you're probably thinking, ah, Pastor Jason, come on, that sounds so old-fashioned. 
Friends, if that sounds old-fashioned, it's because it is old-fashioned. It's like 2,000 years old-fashioned. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Your friendships matter. Your associations matter. The people who are surrounding you and encouraging you and guiding you and giving input into your life, those people have a huge influence in your heart, your character, and your actions. Friends, let me ask you this morning, are there any Delilahs in your life? Are there any Delilahs that maybe you need to deal with? People who are poor influences, not leading you to the Lord, but leading you away from the Lord? Friends, if you have those people in your life, the best thing you can do is sever those relationships. People who are leading you astray from Jesus and his word are not helping you walk in your faith, not helping you grow. Now, that's not to say that we can't be friends with people in the world. That's part of our calling as God's people, to reach out to the world. But we need to do that with wisdom, with discernment, with our feet firmly planted in the word so that we don't let the world lead us astray, but that we can shine a positive light into those relationships for the sake of the gospel. But that's all the more reason why we need Christian brothers and sisters around us, encouraging us, cheering us on, supporting us as we seek out our calling to live as ambassadors in this world. Principle number four on temptation, learning from Samson's mistakes. Temptation toyed with always leads to trouble. Probably the most obvious question we come away with from Samson's dalliance with Delilah is simply, why did he stay, right? I mean, like, you would think the guy would have learned his lesson after the first attempt to get him to tell his secret, right? And then there's a second attempt. And then, the, I mean, literally, the guy's hair is being woven in a loom. I mean, like, how, how dumb can this guy be? But here's the thing. I don't think it was about being dumb. I don't think that's why Samson stayed and why he kept putting up with it. Friends, remember, Samson was self-deceived. Because of his sinful pride, he, he believed he could get himself out of anything. That had been his story his whole life. He had gotten himself out of all kinds of jams because God had empowered him with this supernatural strength, right? So he thought he could do anything. But Samson forgot that his strength wasn't his own. He forgot that his strength was a gift from the Lord to be used for God's glory. And because of Samson's self-deception, he thought he could toy with temptation. What a mistake. Many of you will remember the, the name Siegfried and Roy, the, the famous magic act in Las Vegas. From 1990 to 2003, these guys performed thousands and thousands of hit shows with they were famous for their magical illusions that incorporated white tigers and lions they did thousands of performances to this day they're still the most historic most famous most income generating show in las vegas history but all that came to an end on october 3rd 2003 when roy horn was on stage with one of his white tigers and that night, 
the tiger trainers later would say something was off from the very beginning with this tiger. That night, the tiger missed his first mark in the performance. Roy Horn used secondary commands to try to get the tiger back on track with his routine, and, and the tiger didn't want to have anything to do with it. The tiger swiped Roy's, Roy Horn's legs out from underneath him. He fell back onto his back. The tiger pounced on top of him, bit into his neck, severing his windpipe, severing, breaking his spine. Roy Horn was bleeding out to death and nearly died. They rushed him to the hospital where he was ultimately saved, but he was permanently disabled for the rest of his life. It ended their career, ended their magic show. Trainers reflecting back on what took place, tiger experts said that this accident was only a matter of time and coming. They said, no matter how well you train a tiger, no matter how many times you work with a tiger, it's still a tiger. You can take the tiger out of the wild, but you can't take the wild out of the tiger. And that night, Roy Horn learned that lesson. And friends, in the very same way, toying with temptation is like playing with a tiger. You might get away with it for a season, but eventually that tiger is going to attack. Look what God's Word tells us about toying with temptation. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. 1 Corinthians 10, 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. 1 Timothy 6.11, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things, the love of money, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. 2 Timothy 2.22, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Friends, are you starting to get the picture here? Over and over again, the Bible tells us to flee temptation, not toy with it. Samson had repeatedly lived his life in rebellion against God's will, giving himself over to temptation. And in verses 18 through 21, we see the tragic outcome of Samson's sinful lifestyle. He lost his hair. He lost his strength. He lost the presence of the Lord. And he ultimately lost his eyes. What an irony there, huh? His eyes that so often got him into trouble were ultimately taken from him. But lastly, this morning in the twilight of Samson's life, we see a hero who was self-conscious of his need. As the sun set on Samson's life and service as a judge, friends, you'd be hard-pressed to recognize him from the man that God first raised up. By the end of our passage here this morning, God had truly brought Samson low as a result of his sin. He's been blinded. He's doing menial labor, grinding the Philistines' grain, and he's bound and imprisoned. Friends, make no mistake, this is always where sin leads. Sin is, blind, sin is blinding, it's grinding, and it's binding. Sin will blind you to the truth, it'll grind away at your joy, and it will bind you in enslavement. That's where sin always leads, every single time. But we need to also remember that God was still at work here in Samson's life. 
As we saw last week, even in our failures, God is always working to bring about his perfect plans and purposes. And so while it may have been the twilight for Samson, as we know, God's glory is often most clearly seen in the setting of the sun. See, God had allowed Samson to be humbled, to bring him to the place where for the very first time in his life he truly recognized his need for God. We see that in Samson's prayer in verse 28. Samson acknowledges the Lord as the source of his empowerment for the first time in his life. His prayer there isn't a perfect prayer. There's, there's still a component of vengeance. But he's acknowledging the Lord, recognizing his need for God. He's been humbled. And it was in this humbling that God would use Samson to carry out his promised deliverance of the Israelites by bringing down the house on top of thousands of Philistines, many of them the elite of that pagan society. You know, it's interesting when we reflect back on Samson's life. You guys know that Samson ended up in God's hall of faith? Hebrews chapter 11. I mean, this, this, this character here that we've seen very little redeeming value in, he, he's in the hall of faith, Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, 32 through 34, What more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, of Samuel, the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms and forced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. There's a lot of interesting names in that list, isn't there? Not all great examples of the perfect moral walk, are they? But friends, you want to know something? The reality is when we read the names of those in God's hall of faith, what we discover is that it's really the hall of grace. It's really the hall of grace. You see, every person mentioned here in Hebrews 11, like Samson, had significant times of failure in their lives. But it was in their weakness that God made them strong. How so? By faith. Grace through faith. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. That's the good news of the gospel, friends. Let me ask you this morning, have you put your faith in the God of Samson? The God of amazing grace? If not, there's no better time than today. And if you do know God's amazing grace, there's no better time to learn from the mistakes of Samson and to say to the Lord, God, let me not squander your grace and empowerment in my life. Let me live boldly as your champion in this world. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for the many lessons that we can learn from Samson's story. And I pray, God, that we take these lessons to heart. I pray, most importantly, that we see here in Samson's story in the twilight of his life the reality that you are a God of amazing grace who takes even flawed and failed people and uses them for your glory, raises them up, 
Your, your strength overcomes our weakness. Your grace overcomes our sin. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for your empowerment, for your faithfulness. Help us to continue to lean on you and trust in you and follow you and pursue you. Help us to live our lives in a way that we shine a powerful testimony to the world of what God can do, even in fallen sinful people. Thank you, Lord, for this time together in your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, please stand for our benediction this morning. It comes from 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. And now may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Have a blessed week, everybody. Hi, everybody. Pastor Jason here. And I want to thank you for joining us for our online worship service this morning. I pray it's been a blessing to you. I want to encourage you now to visit our church website, www.lakesfree.org. There you can find more information about our church. You can find updates on the latest happenings here at Lakes Free. And you can find an abundance of resources for further teaching, equipping, and encouragement. So please check that out. We also have a prayer link there on our homepage where you can submit prayer requests. And we would love to pray for you. And if you'd like to continue your worship by giving to the work of the Lord here at Lakes Free Church, we have a very clear and simple giving link there on our homepage. And we would appreciate your support. I want to thank you again for being with us this morning. I pray that you have a blessed week, and we will look forward to seeing you soon.